Welcome to our podcast for college Catholics, where we discuss faith and spirituality from a Catholic perspective. Today, we uh, welcome Dr. Lawrence Feingold, who is a professor of theology at Kenrick Glenning Seminary at St. Louis. Um, he converted to Catholicism in 1989 together with his wife, uh, while they were engaged in realist marble sculpture in Pietra Santa, Italy. Uh, he uh, is author of several books, Touched by Christ on the Sacraments, and there he also speaks about the Eucharist, which is uh, another book, the Eucharist, the Mystery of Presence, Sacrifice, and Communion. And it's very appropriate in this uh, year or revival that is a couple of years, actually 22, 2022 through 2024, uh, in the U.S., uh, the United States uh, Conference for Catholic Bishops has uh, decided to uh, encourage a Eucharistic revival. So, Dr. Feingold, welcome to our episode, to our podcast. How are you doing? Very well. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a yes. Pleasure. So, and you've been talking about this Eucharistic revival. Why don't you tell us a little bit what this Eucharistic revival is about, why it came up, and what is its goal? Yeah. So, the, I mean, we all know there are um, depressing Gallup surveys that about the faith of Catholics in things like the real presence. Um, less than 40% of Catholics seems believe in the full Catholic faith. Right, so, they, think, they think it's more a symbol than right. Jesus truly substantially presence with his body, blood, soul, and divinity under the species of bread and wine. Right. But um, So my hope for this Eucharistic revival is that it not be only on the real presence. Yes, that's fundamental. But the mystery of the Eucharist is bigger of course. than just the real presence. And so um, you mentioned that I have this book. Um, and so in the title, Mystery of Presence sacrifice and communion that's kind of to, so the what we should come away with in this eucharistic revival seems to me is a deepened awareness of all three of those dimensions right. and they they answer the question why did jesus institute the eucharist and there's not just one answer really i think but three to be with us in our midst in his full humanity um, in the blessed sacrament in the tabernacle presence but he also, in the Eucharist, gives us his sacrifice of Calvary to be ours and to offer it with him. And I'll come back to that in just a minute. Of course. And then the third dimension is that he gives himself totally to us in Holy Communion. And so the and Eucharist— he makes, us, he makes us a communion. He builds the church Builds the church, the right, exactly. The church from the Eucharist. Beautiful document by John Paul II, his last encyclical. Um, and so one way to make sense of this is to think of it in terms of um, Jesus instituting the Eucharist at the Last Supper and who he is. He's our bridegroom. So Jesus comes and the, the word becomes flesh um, to be the bridegroom of his church, right? That's how St. Paul presented in Ephesians right. chapter 5. Jesus is the bridegroom who gives himself— exactly for his bride to wash her, to make her immaculate, and, and to give himself to her. So to understand the Eucharist, we have to understand first Jesus as the bridegroom, and the Eucharist is the sacrament of the love of the bridegroom. And that's, I think, the context to understand the Eucharist. And if you think about spousal love, it's got these three aspects. Spouses share life together, right? They dwell together. The word was made flesh so that he could dwell with us in our midst. So there's a, like a communion. Yes. A com communion in the sense of presence. 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 Right. Right? And so God became man 2,000 years ago, but he ascended 40 days after his resurrection out of 
with his visible presence. And so the Eucharist is, we could say, the divine means by which, even though he's left us with his visible visible Body. presence of his humanity, to remain with us in a better way. Better because accessible, not just in one place in the world, say Nazareth or Jerusalem, but wherever his bride is, right in Detroit, in St. Louis, wherever we live, so and there's, there's a priest. So there's an extension of the incarnation. That's right. And the real presence, the physical presence of the, the, the body of Jesus. The as, same body, right? right the exactly. same body. It's extended through history. That's right. The same body that Mary carried in her womb, the same body nailed to the cross, the same body that rose from the dead is here, wherever we are, and there's a Catholic priest and a tabernacle. In so Detroit. In Detroit. Yeah. Right? You don't, it's not necessary to go to Jerusalem. That's a good thing. Right. But we don't need to go to the one place because he's in every place, right? So that's how it's a better presence. And... Um, but it's not only, so that's the first thing, and that's the foundation, because without that, we wouldn't have the other two. But spousal love is also about sacrifice, right? And so we all know that it's not enough for husband and wife to dwell together if we fight. Right. And what stops us from fighting is that we sacrifice our own, right, interests for the welfare of the other. And that's, I think, essential of understanding, uh, to understand that for young people, to understand that their marriage will also imply a sacrifice to die to self, just as our Lord ask us to, to die to ourselves, to be his disciples. So if we want to be spouses or husbands or wives, we have to die to self in some way. Right? That's right. And yes, we immediately find this out after we get married. Um, and, but it's what makes the marriage beautiful. Uh, maybe you don't think so at the time, but um, God has built into marriage so many trials in which we have to further that death to self for the good of our beloved. And so Jesus, the bridegroom, He's the perfect model of giving himself for his bride, right? That's Calvary. But he, again, wanted to do a better thing because that was just one day and we weren't there. Yes, he died for us, but we weren't there. And he wanted not only to die for us, but to make that act of dying for us something that we can encounter every and day. Every day and actually join in the offering. So Jesus, in dying for his bride, he made the perfect sacrifice to his father. And he's given that to his bride. All right, this again, in human terms, it's unimaginable, right? right. Imagining, it's I don't beyond know. our capacity to understand. Yeah. Think of St. Maximilian Kolbe, who gives his life for um, somebody in the concentration camp, right? They, um, and that, I mean, all that that person for whom this saint died could do is survive the concentration camp so he could tell the world about that heroic act of sacrifice. All right, Jesus can do something better. He can not only give us the memory of his act, but to give us the very act so that we can join into it as Mary did standing at the foot of the cross, right? So Mary at the foot of the cross offered her son's death right. to the Father. And so she shared in the offering. That's what the Eucharist is principally and first, we tend to forget this. I think most, even if the statistics are bad about the real presence, I think there would be far worse. I haven't seen any statistics though, right, right. about whether mass is a sacrifice and it's the same one as Calvary and that we get to join, participate in the offering. And that is why in a sense it, 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 it gives us a possibility, or Jesus, as instituting it as a sacrament, gives us a possibility to celebrate it every day. And it makes sense, because although Christ died once, 
we want to make it available every day for the faithful, A, to receive the graces from the sacrifice, but also to offer their own personal sacrifices to God through the sacrifice of Christ. That's right. And so he's given us this sacrifice for us to offer with him, but he wants something from us. Right. He wants us to join in. Right. And so again, the best image of this is Mary at the foot of the cross. So Mary at the foot of the cross, her son's passion was her passion. That was her heart, right? Because he was her life. And so her standing at the foot of the cross was her experience of her son's passion was her passion. And she offered that to the father. All right. We maybe don't have something quite so powerful always to offer, but what we have to offer is our daily life. Right. Our daily sacrifices, and joys, Jesus efforts. is interested in them. He, right. They're not small to him. The small things of our daily life is what we bring to the Eucharist. And that makes gives more sense to what we suffer every day, right? right. Because some people... Like they might get like almost depressed of thinking, oh, I have to continue suffering or putting up with this pain, with this headache, with this difficulty that I have. Well, God allows those so that we have something to offer to him. Right. And so our little thing gets offered simultaneously with his big sacrifice. Right. That's the beauty of it. And obviously this presupposes the real presence. He's got to be there on the altar Right. And for it to be the same, it's the same sacrifice as Calvary because we have the same Jesus, the same body nailed to, to the cross, and the same blood that poured from his side, offered for the same intention, right, for the redemption of mankind, and, and, it's and to glorify his Father. And it's symbolized in the uh, separation of the wine and the, uh, the bread. Right. right, so the separate consecration. consecration, so that the priest consecrating the um, the bread into his body and the wine into his blood separately in the altar, signifying what physically happened on Calvary. Right. right? So he doesn't die again, right? Because Jesus rose um, living forever now. But um, the um, it's made sacramentally present, and he's truly offered, right, the same Jesus and for the same intentions, and it wins the same effects. But there's this difference. We're there today, right. and we weren't there 2,000 years ago. Our life gets joined to it, right? So, it's, so it gives an infinite dignity to all the little things of our life that we might think are trivial, but they're not trivial to one who loves us, right, Jesus. And that, what I try to explain or try to say, to simplify it, let's say, is to imagine that when we are at the foot of the altar, in a, uh, when there's a Catholic priest saying Mass, we are, as it were, at the foot of the cross mm-hmm. in Calvary mm-hmm. 2,000 plus years ago. Mm-hmm. Right, and we're giving, putting our lives on that altar, on top of that. So the way to, again, it can be really helpful, I think, to to put moments into this that are concrete. So the offertory right. is the first and kind of most classic. So instead of thinking just about my, I don't know, twenty dollar bill or ten dollar whatever it is, but um, that I'm putting into the collection, it's my life that Jesus wants. It's my heart that He wants to put that there, and then to put all my cares that I care in my heart for others to put them also on the pattern on the altar. And we don't have to worry that the altar's going to break from right. the weight of it, right? Because it can hold the whole world. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. And to put it there, and then I find it really helpful also when the priest does the consecration and elevates, to ele- I'm, my heart is and my life is being elevated with him. And Absolutely. then right after the consecration, what the priest says is, remembering, right, his passion, death, resurrection, ascension, we offer you that we includes all the faithful 
And so I want to join in that spiritually and, again, put my uh, heart and my life on the altar there. And so the, the Mass, has, we tend to think too much of that. So, so often people will say, you know, I stopped going to Mass because I don't get anything out of it. And um, that's what that's missing is the Mass is first about giving. Jesus is giving us the opportunity to give our lives to the, his Father with him. And then we receive. Right? And so again, that's the third aspect of the spousal love. So spousal love, we said, is presence. Husbands and wives live together. They sacrifice for one another so that they can give themselves totally to one another. So that's Holy Communion. So the Eucharistic life involves this ascending movement of offering my life to Jesus' Father with Jesus and then receiving that same Jesus who's just been offered to the Father whole and entire, nothing lacking, right? So that's why we say body, blood, soul, divinity. Each of us receives the full Jesus. But there's, so we all receive the whole, the full Jesus in every holy communion, but we don't equally receive his divinity, his grace. That comes to us according to the measure of our love and how much we've given of ourselves um, to him and desire him. And so he gives himself to hold an entire, but he stretches with every communion and every mass our ability to receive him. So, very good. Well, thank That's That's really good. So, um, so for college students, right, for young adults, what would you recommend to do um, these uh, months and these years of the Eucharistic Revival Uh, so as to increase that awareness yeah. of the Eucharistic gift of right. Christ to with the, us. Right. So I'm, uh, one source for this is Pope Benedict has a great document on this called the Sacrament of Charity, Sacramentum Caritatis. And the third part of it, he calls the Eucharistic form of life. And it's just, so he kind of goes through this. And it, it's just being aware of the unity of, so that what he stresses is the unity of life. And this is what's so often lacking in so many Catholics, right? Um, our faith is something we do for an hour or maybe 50 minutes on Sunday morning. But the idea of the Eucharistic life is that every aspect of my life is something I want to bring to the Mass, right? The difficulties, the joys, and um, recreation if done in the right. Spirit. So the Second Vatican Council has a beautiful chapter on this. It's the section on the laity, number 34. It speaks about um, the lay faithful Gaudium, Gaudium et Spes? It's Lumen Gentium. Lumen Gentium. Yeah. 34. Lumen Gentium 34 on the laity. And it okay. speaks about the lay faithful are called to offer spiritual sacrifices to the Father. And the, what are these sacrifices? Um, family life, um, homework, study, our prayer. In other words, everything that lunch, um, right? Com friendship, sports, everything that makes up our life, we want to live it in relationship to God the Father, and the Mass is, and Jesus, right? And a beautiful way to aid us in that unity of life is offering that, being aware that I'm offering of that, all of those things, the mundane things in the Mass. All right, there's one thing that's an obstacle, right? And that's sin. Right. And that's why living the Eucharistic life means also living the sacrament of penance. And it helps you also, I think, uh, what I was going to say, when you, if you think, okay, I'd like to offer everything that I do, my Uh, eating, my um, mm -hmm. enjoyments, my sports, my studies, it also challenges me to think, can I offer this that That's I'm doing right. to God? 
And if it's a yes, then go ahead right. and do it. Mm-hmm. And if you say, no, I can't offer this to God anymore because it's either crooked or not mm-hmm. good or sinful altogether. Right. So I shouldn't do it then. That's right. I shouldn't do it. But it offers me something no less valuable to offer. And that is my, re- I mean, a beautiful thing we offer in every mass is our repentance for for sin, whether it's the big sins or the little ones, right? That's the most beautiful thing actually we can offer him. Mm-hmm. And so it's, um, yeah, the Eucharistic life is offering um, all of what we do, but also our sorrow over what we haven't done with him and want to do with him. Right, so we don't need to be perfect That's right. to glorify God in a Eucharistic life because we can also bring a repentance. That's right, and that can be the best thing that we bring. Um, and then, um, so we, it has this ascending movement, and then Jesus gives himself to us so that we can um, live the Christian life better. In other words, so we can offer ourselves at the next Mass, um, living that unity of life still more. Right? And this is why it's Jesus into the Eucharist, not something to be celebrated once, right? Or even just once a year. But um, so the church requires us every week. And I think most of the faithful maybe don't get this, right? The church only requires Holy Communion once a year, but requires us to go to Mass every week. Why? It's so we can make this offering of our life with Jesus um, frequently, right? So that it becomes the very fabric, though the worldview of living um, the Christian life that we're living in relationship, right? A Trinitarian relationship to the Father in Jesus through the power of the Spirit. And, um, and we're being fed by him so that we offer ourselves with him and not just without the Eucharist. Yes, I could offer my life, me in my God corner, but it would just be poor me. And mm-hmm. in the Eucharist, I'm offering, yes, me and Jesus. Right. Yeah, and also uh, attending Mass. Not only Sundays is required, but then we have a holy days of obligation, and then we have weekdays that are is not required, but it's encouraged. So I think that when we participate more in the Eucharist with devotion, right, uh, that strengthens our our life, our faith life, and our Eucharistic life. Greatly, so it makes greatly. it helps us be better. Yeah. yeah. So I had an interesting experience about that. We um, started going to mass before my wife and I, before we were baptized. Mm-hmm. We would go to this our local parish. In, this was in Italy. And um, so my wife, what prompted our conversion, as I explained in some previous podcast, was um, my wife had this terrible anxiety during her mm. pregnancy. And, um, and so what we noticed was going to mass, so the first mass we went to, that anxiety, that darkness, that heaviness was lifted. And that was a, a kind of a, but then I saw, you know, three, four, five days later, Thursday, Friday, this dark cloud again, Descending, right. Sunday Mass dispelled. The same thing happened week after week. And so that was kind of a clue to us. Wow, you know, we could go every day. Right. This is even still before we were baptized. And then that became a lifelong practice. Wow. And it's such a beautiful thing because it helps one to, I mean, the, even though the church doesn't require it, it helps one to live the whole of one's life in this ascending, descending mode of relationship. So everything we do, we're offering and then receiving from Jesus the power to be more configured to him. And it's everything human, so every conversion has got to be gradual, right? That's because that's the pace of human life. We do it day by day. 
And so living the Eucharistic life with more frequency, say, on a, if we have that possibility on a daily basis, is a beautiful way of immersing ourselves more into Jesus's um, offering and self-gift. Mm-hmm. Present sacrifice and communion. Wonderful. Well, I hope that also helps everyone to live better this Eucharistic revival and also to be closer to our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Dr. Feingold, thank you so, so much for joining us today and for all your uh, support for this pod- Midas Christi podcast. Thank you so much uh, for having me. Yes, it's a great it's, pleasure. And it's great that you can share all these all this knowledge with all the college students that listen to this podcast. So every, thank you everyone for joining us today. Uh, please share this episode for with your friends to encourage them in their love for the Eucharist. And uh, yeah, make sure you follow us in your platform and if you can, Rate us in Spotify and Apple Podcasts and uh, leave a review if you can. So thank you so much for joining us today. God bless you and we will see you next time.